audio interview with Barbara Lamb, recorded May 14th, 2012. I met Barbara Lamb initially at a UFO conference in 2008, and I immediately had a wonderful, I think everyone has this impression uh, when they meet her, uh, I was completely smitten. She is a very sweet, soft-spoken woman. And there was something about her that that put me very much at ease. And I think that is sort of a strong point for her. She is uh, very peaceful to be around. I think you will sense that in her voice. She does hypnosis. She was a hypnotherapist in her um, practice, in her family therapy practice, long before she started to do the um the abduction research, where she was using hypnotherapy as a tool as part of her research. So she started out as a hypnotherapist, using the that as a tool in her counseling practice. So it's interesting, so that came first, and then the abduction research came after, which I think is a very important distinction. There are not many in the UFO research community who can say that about um, you know the use of hypnosis. Barbara Lamb has actively been doing UFO abduction research for over 20 years now. And she has uh, a different take on it than what um, what others in the field would have. She has worked with Dr. John Mack in, in his research, and we talk about that a little bit during this interview. Now, Barbara has a much more optimistic and benevolent set of conclusions with her work in this lore, and that may put her at odds with some within the, the UFO research community, and, um, and f- I guess my own personal views are much more agnostic than that. Uh, it is wonderful to talk to someone with, with a, such an optimistic outlook and such a positive outlook. Now, uh, having said that, I should come clean. I uh, did do a hypnotic regression with Barbara Lamb, and I'm pretty sure it was in 2009 at the Laughlin Conference down in Southern Nevada. Um, uh, nothing happened, and I, I think I can say I was just too freaking nervous to to effectively go under. Uh, that said, she was very kind, we sort of stopped the session, and then she just played therapist for a while, and it was very helpful. I have a very strong connection with her. I find her very peaceful, trustworthy nature, I find that very soothing for me, and as far as uh, as what I would want in a therapist, uh, those, those ingredients are very important to me. Now, throughout this this interview, I spoke hardly at all. I really kept quiet. I let Barbara talk. She has a... Uh, it's very obvious why she's a hypnotherapist. Uh, she has a very sweet, calm voice. And I was paying very close attention during this audio interview. And I feel like we dug pretty deep in into the subject in a way that that uh, I haven't heard her in other interviews uh, talk about some of the things she talked about here. It, within the show notes, I'm including another audio interview that she did with Carrie Cassidy from Project Camelot on her audio interview series. Now, I'm, I, I am uh, not 
uh, that big a fan of Carrie Cassidy and her interviewing techniques. But Barbara uh, tells some stories that I've never heard before. Uh, she has an experience. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of it. It's a great story. Uh, I mean, she's, to me, she seems a very trustworthy woman. She claims uh, she was wishing that she could see a crop circle being made while she was doing crop circle research in England. This is going back a few years. And she tells a story of being uh, sort of, well, not sort of, she tells a story of being abducted from her room at the inn where she was staying in rural England and then being shown uh, a crop circle being made from above what amounts to from within a craft looking down at at the fields, at the crops. So that is that's in the uh, interview with with Carrie Cassidy. It's well worth listening to. Barbara is an author. She wrote the book Alien Experiences along with her co-author Nadine Lelich, and she also wrote a book on crop circles titled Crop Circles Revealed, and that came out in um, 2001. Both of those books are noted and linked in the show notes. Now the interview that you're just about to hear. Uh, was quite touching for me in a way that I'm not sure if I can if I can articulate properly. I, I don't agree with everything that uh, Barbara says and, and all her conclusions, though I find that I'm sort of swept away by her calm, quiet tone. And uh, you may sense that in the way uh, I, we interact. This interview is a little over two hours long, and uh, I got a lot out of it, and I hope you do too. Please enjoy. Um, Barbara, I just want to say thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Oh, I'm very pleased to do it, Mike. Good, good. That makes me feel great. Hey, you have been doing, uh, besides family therapy and just what would be considered just classical family therapy, you have been doing work with uh, people who claim the alien abduction experience. And I'm just, if you could give me just a little rundown of how long you've been doing it and your involvement. Oh, yes, certainly. Well, I, um, first of all, I have to back up a little bit. Um, I was licensed as a marriage and family therapist way back in 1976. And then in the mid-1980s, I um, had a few years of training in regression therapy. And at the very last module of training, which was in 1988, the trainer, who was a therapist I respected enormously and trusted, uh, she told those of us at that highest level of training that we might sometime encounter somebody who had had very strange experiences with beings who seemed to be from somewhere else, in other words, not from the earth, and that they might be confused or um, even traumatized and might have been taken away for a couple of hours of time. Well, I had never heard of that at that time in 1988. Um, That was just completely new, and I was shocked to hear that. And not only that, but as that was being said to me, there was a big booming voice in my head. I still don't know where that came from. But the voice in my head said, pay attention to this, Barbara. You will be doing this. So I was just stunned. 
And for about three years, I, I thought, you know, I've never paid any attention to any mention of anything like UFOs or aliens. I just thought it was all science fiction. But I began to seek out lectures and um, books and things to read from people who did seem to know about that. And by 1991, I concluded for myself that, yeah, I think this must be really going on. And if anybody ever did come to me, probably they wouldn't, but if they ever did, um, I would be able to work with them about this. And as things go, synchronistically, the very day that I concluded that, I went to a bookstore and met the woman behind the counter who knew that I did regression therapy work, and she asked me to work with her 21-year-old daughter, who was very traumatized by having beings coming into her room at night, and it seemed like taking her away. She was just totally distressed, freaked out, really, and um, the mother was very concerned, so I did a few sessions with that young woman, and she uh, found lots of details in the regressions that we did. And then, to my great surprise, um, on her last session, she came in and said, you know what, I have decided that I am very honored and privileged to be part of this program with these very, very unusual beings. I know they're not from the earth, and I know I've been taken elsewhere. And we had discovered lots of details of those experiences in our regressions. And uh, But here she was happy and pleased and reported that she had actually been healed by a blue beam from a UFO flying overhead and that she'd been healed of a chronic back pain that she'd had for a few years. So she was quite radiant about it and perfectly willing to have more experiences. Well, Mike, that, you know, that was just amazing for me. Again, this is way back in 1991 in the spring, and I thought, oh, okay, good. Well, you know, if anybody else does come ever, um, I think I feel confident now in working with this. And about five months later, another woman came, and she worked with me for about 11 years and had, oh, probably 60 regressions. And not too long after she came, and that was 1991 also, more and more people started to come. I really don't know how they found me because I wasn't advertising it or anything. And by now, it's been about 840 individuals who have come to me and done regressions with me about their extraterrestrial encounters. So it's it's really, you know, just still a surprise when I look back and think, wow, I never knew this would be part of my life because I didn't even know it existed. But and, indeed, it does exist. And and uh, yes, and that's actually one of the things I want to talk to you about is, is it being part of your life. And, and, um, and that voice in your head, that um, direct contact, that direct communication came mm-hmm. from someplace, obviously. And right. um, I mean, it you know, very well of could have come from your higher self or a guardian angel or something like that, but I'm sort of left to conclude that it came from them. 
Well, it might have, and I really don't know still, all these years later. But um, I always thought, well, I called it the big voice of my soul, because that had happened just a very few times before that in my life, you know, for a period of some decades. And um, so by the big voice of my soul, I guess it really meant my higher self. And that's what I thought. But as the years have gone on, I think, you know, maybe the extraterrestrial beings um, who are, you know, kind of perhaps looking around on Earth and uh, seeing who might be able to be helpful with this sort of thing here. They saw this person who was already a licensed therapist and was um, getting all this training and doing regression therapy and that, you know, maybe she, in other words, I, uh, could be helpful with this. So that sort of presupposes that there are some beings out there, extraterrestrial beings, you know, who want the people who are having these experiences to be able to get help with them. That's, that's... Because otherwise, why would they bother to single me out and say, you will be working with this? I mean, basically, they were saying, you will be helping people who have these experiences. And I will so, say that um, you're not quite singled out in the sense that um, there are uh, a handful of abduction researchers, uh, Leo Sprinkle and Raymond Fowler, who mm-hmm. both claim their own contact events. Um, and this is sort of what I want to explore uh, in this interview, in a way, is just the implication in in that, that there's some, uh, you know, it seems like, you know, both uh, Leo Sprinkle and Raymond Fowler tell of experiences in their youth that mm-hmm. certainly point to abduction experiences in the classical yeah. sense, and then they mm-hmm. go on to be, um, uh, one is a therapist and one is an engineer, if I'm not mistaken, and but they do go on to research this and be very supportive and helpful to the people they work with. Um, oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Well, um, I know that Leo Sprinkle had a, a very impactful, uh, amazing, undeniable sighting of a UFO with... Marilyn, his wife, uh, when they were quite young. I'm not even sure that they were married yet. Maybe they were just engaged, but, you know, way back some decades ago. And um, and it, so at that point, um, it was undeniably evident that there are these crafts, and they certainly concluded that they were not from here. And fortunately for them, they both witnessed this. Because in many cases, there's one person in the family who's very, very interested in this and may be experiencing extraterrestrial encounters. But the spouse um, may not uh, have had any experience like that. I think that's usually the case, in fact. And the spouse might be very skeptical, very doubtful about the whole thing and might not even want to hear about it. But in uh, Leo and Marilyn's situation, they both had this very dramatic, close sighting in Colorado of a UFO, and um, it just really shook them to the core. And so Marilyn has been able to be supportive ever since then of Leo's work 
with people who experience extraterrestrial encounters. Yes, and I know that Leo also had an encounter before that. That was his second uh, sighting, and he had a very um, clear visual sighting with a friend of his in college. Um, That's right, yes. Yeah. And so, so that was his second um, profound sighting. So, you know, that my I'm left to conclude, you know, two sightings is a lot. And he said they were both... Um, both times that the craft was traveling north, and he said that is eventually where he moved. He ended up moving to Laramie, Wyoming, which oh, is yeah. north of Colorado, so he, he does factor that in. So, you know, in a way, that would be a form of communication. Um, just being seen at all is a form of communication in the sense that, yes. that um, you're, you, you or anyone who's seen something, which I have also, you are forced to change your thought patterns, and you are forced to... Um, uh, recognize that there is something very real going on out there. Oh, yes. It's, it's, it's undeniable when you've actually seen it. Um, I had a very impactful, uh, close sighting, um, but this wasn't until I'd been already working with experiencers of extraterrestrial encounters for probably about eight or nine years, or maybe more. Um, and my monthly experiencer support group and I, by the way, I started that support group in 1994, and it's still continuing. And um, so seven of us from that group went out to a desert area in Southern California where we live. We went out to the Joshua Tree National Monument, which is a wonderful, big, wide, open desert area. And nobody really lives in that monument, but there are a few campgrounds, and we were camping. They're hoping to have a sighting of the UFO, because we had heard that many people had happened there uh, before us. So we were there, and it was just about dusk time, not quite dark yet, and we weren't expecting to see anything until at least midnight. Uh, that shows how your ideas. Uh, can sometimes be wrong and um, can sometimes sort of lead you astray. So we didn't have any cameras out yet. We were just sort of building a, a fire in the barbecue. And suddenly one of the men in our group said, hey, we've got one. And so we looked up, and there I would say probably 100 feet um, out in front of us, which is really pretty close, and we guessed... 100 feet up in the air, we saw this beautiful, beautiful object uh, just slowly traveling in front of us. We saw it from the coming from the hills that were to our right side, and it slowly progressed very steadily past us until we couldn't see it because of the hills to our left. But to those of us who were on a lower level of the campground just then, it looked like a perfect sphere of a glowing aquamarine color. And it was beautiful. Now, to the two men who were off the campground up by the road, probably about, oh, 100 feet away from us, uh, and they were on slightly higher ground, they could see that aquamarine color, 
but what they saw with binoculars was that it was a silver, rather disc-shaped craft, and it had these beautiful aquamarine lights all around the center portion of it, like a, like a ring of lights. But anyway, we were stunned. We stopped what we were doing. We were thrilled. We were enthralled. Nobody was in fear because we'd wanted to see one. And we just watched it steadily going over the sky, and we talked about it. What exactly did you see? And and we all compared notes. And and now, even years later, because as I said, that was in the late 1990s, here we are in 2012, and whenever I'm with any of those people, again, who witnessed that sighting, we have the compulsion, it seems, to talk about it again. I mean, it was a very impactful, positive experience. And one of the ladies witnessing this with me um, was very psychically attuned. In fact, they all were more psychically attuned than I am. So the one who was especially so, she said, she as this was happening, she said, oh, they're telling us that this has nothing to do with us. They are simply doing reconnaissance. That was the message. So in other words, these people with me were all experiencers of many, many extraterrestrial encounters. And this sighting was not an extraterrestrial encounter. We They just happened to be doing their reconnaissance, whatever that meant, and uh, and we just happened to be there to see them. Now, hearing so you... It was s- thrilling. Yeah, hearing you say that, my thought is like, well, you know, they may have been, you know, giving false information to the woman who was psychically attuned, and because and, uh, it certainly sounds like a, like a performance, like a theatrical performance, you know, staged <laughs> just for you. I mean, it flew right over you. Um, mm-hmm. You went there specifically to do that. So, you know, that may just be the little trickster nature of the... Um, you know who knows uh, of, the, of the phenomena, and who knows if that woman was uh, was receiving um, you know the information properly. Yes, yes. Well, our sense about it, but of course we have to admit that this is guesswork. Um, our sense about it is that the beings in that craft knew uh, remotely, like remote sensing or whatever. Uh, they knew that we were there to see UFOs. And so when they went by, they wanted to reassure us that this was not an abduction experience. This was not a personal encounter. But they were fine with us seeing this because they knew that we'd gone out there for camping in order to hopefully see a UFO. So that's, that's sort of what we, what most of us seem to think. Um, but I do have to, you know, realize that that's just our conclusions. That doesn't mean that that was necessarily their intention. Interesting, yeah. But, you know, this was one in what I'm talking about right now, that it seems like they knew why we were there out in the desert. Uh, now, we don't know that for sure, but it seems like it. And this sort of thing with the beings communicating to people here on Earth seems to be happening quite frequently, at least with the 840 people I've regressed and 
many, many hundreds of other ones whom I've talked to at these large experiences support groups at the UFO Congress and many other um, conferences I've been to and, and people who hear me speak or who know that I do this work come up to me and they tell me about their experiences. So I've really had a tremendous amount of feedback from people from all over the U.S. and even from various other countries. And so they report things like this, too. That is that they sometimes get messages downloaded, they think, they use that expression, downloaded into their minds from extraterrestrial beings, either with or without their seeing a UFO sighting. So I think that these beings who seem to have abilities more than certainly most of us do, um, they they know about us and they can give messages one way or the other to some of us and they're aware of who's had experiences even with beings other than their own kind of being and um, you know who's involved in this and who is interested who's working in the field and um, you know it's, it's just amazing and they they do that knowing without being right here with us. But you know, it really makes sense, I think, Mike, because we humans have these skills, uh, many people do, of remote viewing and also sort of remote sensing and even remote influencing those people who've been highly trained in that discipline are able to do those things. So if we humans are able to develop those skills and know what's going on anywhere out there in the universe or anywhere on earth or even in the past or what will happen in the future from this remote viewing discipline, you know, it seems to me that these other things who may very well be more advanced than we are anyway, they may just very naturally have these abilities to know about us and to communicate with us. And and that communication, um, and I'm speaking from my direct experiences as well as people I've spoken with, uh, takes on many forms. Like even just in so far in our discussion here, you've used the term synchronistically. You said that mm-hmm. the first woman, uh, the young woman uh, you connected with through her mother at the bookstore, you said mm-hmm. that happened synchronistically on the very same day you decided that maybe you should you know follow that path of. Um, I know it. And and that, to me, is a form of communication that, in a way, is a form of language, uh, the same way that uh, like, a, like a parable or a mythology is a form of language, and oftentimes mm-hmm. the actual uh, lesson or, or, or clues hidden in that mythology, you have to decipher them, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't think, I mean, obviously you were wise enough to, to see the connection there. So to me, you know, you know all these kinds of, uh, interaction, especially synchronicity, um, you know, how is that orchestrated? I can't even begin to guess how that may happen. You also use the term uh, compulsion, which is a very interesting word because I've talked to people who've been compelled to go to a place in the middle of the night. I talked to one woman who said she was compelled 
uh, occasionally to sneak out into her backyard and sleep on the grass naked. Um, mm. uh, you know, at certain times she didn't know why she was doing it and she would just do it and then get up early and sneak back into the house while it was still dark. And, and, uh, and then she also has a lifetime of, of what would be classic abduction experiences. I mean, that to me is, a, mm-hmm. is an interesting compulsion. Uh, oh, yes. And you know, there are many cases of that. For instance, Whitley Strieber wrote a whole book about this called The Secret School, where um, he was recalling that there were many, many experiences in his childhood where he would wake up at night and feel that compulsion that you're talking about to get dressed, put on his shoes, uh, go and get his bicycle, and ride across town, this was in Texas, and into a woods to a particular clearing. And while he was doing this, he didn't know, you know, why he was doing it. He just knew he had to do it. And uh, when he get to the clearing, there would be other children, more or less his age, who had ridden their bicycles from their homes at the same time in the middle of the night. And they were gathered there because they were being taught things by some extraterrestrial beings. And the material that they were taught um, was such that they didn't remember it um, the next day, probably didn't even remember it on the way home. But they were told that they would remember it, quote-unquote, when the time comes. So he's got a whole book full of information about that, and Whitley Strieber, of course, is extremely well-known for his extraterrestrial encounters. But I've also heard this from quite a number of other people, too, who will just suddenly wake up in the middle of the night, get dressed, go outside, and go to a particular location where it turns out there's a UFO and extraterrestrials, and they are taught and um, and kind of guided. And there are others um, there as well who've been directed through the mind uh, to go out and have that information. And people um, very often report as well that they might be driving in the daytime, for instance, and they have a, a destination in mind and they're headed toward it. But suddenly they find themselves pulling off the road, going down a side road, and into some other location. Like one person, for instance, and this was back in the New York State, driving on the Merritt Parkway, which is a major roadway, uh, going um, up into New England. But uh, he was suddenly finding himself, he didn't know why, um, getting off at an exit and driving, making two or three turns, driving along a very small, sort of secluded country lane and parking in front of a white house and getting out and going into the house. Well, later he found out in regression that that wasn't a little white house. It was actually a UFO craft that had landed there and had disguised itself to look like a regular little white house and that he had been directed by those extraterrestrial beings to go there. I know Bud Hopkins has some cases like this, too, where people were heading in one direction and then suddenly realized they were 
going in a whole other direction to what turned out to be a UFO encounter. So this sort of thing does happen. We do seem to get influenced here and there. Now, I have a story, and I'm not quite sure what to make of it. I've documented it on the blog, and I've even put a little map on there. And I um, was living in New York City. This would have been the summer of 1993. And there was an area where I would camp outside at night. um, And I had camped out there many times before. Um, And... uh, it's just on this open rock area, and it's in an, it's outside of New Paltz, and there's a climbing area there. And I was uh, very um, involved in the climbing community there for a while. And mm-hmm. one time, it, I think it would have been a Friday night at about 11.30 or midnight, I left the house I was living at um, and got in my little Subaru and drove north um, and... Uh, camped out at this little spot. I just, you know, and I must have arrived there. It's about a 90-minute drive, so it must have been about 1.30 in the morning if I left around midnight. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then I remember, now this is, I remember at the time driving um, and dealing with the kind of, uh, you know, whatever, there's enough traffic even in New York City at midnight and getting, you know, crossing bridges and things like that. It's a little bit of a hassle. Um, mm-hmm. I remember saying out loud to myself, boy, they're pushing pretty hard tonight. <laughs> Oh, and, wow. and I didn't quite know what to make of that, that little statement. You didn't know what you were really saying, like who who were they? And yeah, it kind of blurted out. Pushing? Yeah, it kind of blurted out. And then if you um, take a, uh, a map and look, and I don't, uh, so the next town over from New Paltz, if you go northwest, is a town called Accord. And that's uh, the, the closest town to Whitley Streber's cabin is Accord. So... Oh. Um, I'm not quite sure where his residence at the time was, that cabin, Hmm. but I would have been within about a mile and a half of that cabin when I was sleeping out under the stars. I have no memory of anything happening, and the only thing that, uh, the reason I say that is I never would have thought of this, but when I was with Bud Hopkins, he basically asked me, has he ever had any experience where you drive, like, or do something in the middle of the night that seems unusual, and you feel compelled (laughs) to do something? And I said, oh, no, that's never happened. And then a little while later, I said, oh, wait, I think I do have a story like that. And the the (laughs) act of, you know, me saying out loud, you know, like, ooh, they're pushing pretty hard tonight is, Mm. um, you know, I, I can infer... I don't know quite what it means, and I might be incorrect in the inference, but uh, I think you and I both know what we could be inferring. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, so um, in your conscious memory, um, were there any details like of any light coming to you or no, not at all. or beings or anything? None at all. I, I slept like you, a baby. I loved the spot slept. there. Um, it was, it's a beautiful spot. Easy. There's this, in a spot in the woods, um, you're sort of up high on a cliff band, and you're not like, mm. you're not like on the edge of the cliff in any way. It's maybe 50 yards away, the edge of the cliff, but the, the rock there is very white, and it looks mm. beautiful in the moonlight, and um, so, yeah, that would have been... Wow. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it certainly suggests, anyway, that um, some kind of encounter happened, but as they so frequently do, they make the person uh, who is going to have the encounter uh, be sort of out of it and not consciously aware. Yeah, and I didn't start looking into these experiences at all. That would have been 93. It wasn't until about 2007, so it was another almost 14 years later, you know, 15 years later, that I started looking into the experiences. Is that right? Yes, that's... Yeah. Um, 2007. Yeah, so that's quite a gap, really. But, you know, Mike, 
I'm really appreciating your sharing that, and I just have to affirm that this sort of thing that is the gap I'm talking about um, happens again and again and again to people who have these extraterrestrial encounters, that they may have had experiences even, you know, as early as um, they were in the crib and yet old enough, you know, to still have some memory of it when they really kind of think about it. Um, or maybe they've had another number of things happen in childhood or teenagers, but it may not be until their 40s or 50s or so, or maybe even older, that something happens, something brings their attention to this whole subject of crafts coming in extraterrestrial encounters that will sort of trigger them to really think about some of those incidents that happened decades earlier and begin to wonder about them. And as they begin to wonder about them, it seems like they remember more of these peculiar events that they didn't know how to explain even to themselves at the time. So they get kind of forgotten temporarily, kind of buried. Exactly, yeah. And, but they can be resurrected, and, and who knows what's going to trigger that memory. And then they begin to wonder, like, I think that this sounds like it's true for you, that um, that 1993 experience you know, was peculiar, really, when you think about it, that you suddenly got up in the middle of the night and drove all that distance and way out to the wilderness like that and um, and camped. I mean, normally you wouldn't do that sort of thing, probably. Well, I would do it, except I would have, like, planned it ahead of time and I would have gone with a friend and, and um, uh-huh. you know, in... You it would know, have been a conscious choice. Yeah, a very conscious decision. And we would have, you know, you know said, yeah, middle of the week, we would have said, you know, well, let's over the weekend, let's go and up to New Paltz and, and sleep sure. out on that beautiful rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but oh, that, that's not how it played out that time at midnight. <laughs> yes, and at the time, um, did you, like the next morning, for instance, when you woke up there, did you sort of wonder why you had come there in the middle of the night? Not necessarily, though. I think the way it played out in my head is that, you know, um, I enjoyed sleeping there, and I and it was a, you know, kind of a stressful, hectic, warm weekend in the city, and I was, you know, kind of eager to just get away. So that's mm-hmm. the way it played out in my head. Though that little line, sure. you know, they sure are pushing hard tonight. I am not exaggerating that that really did happen. I really did have that. Um, you know, very conscious thought. I, I, I don't know quite if I said it out loud, but I but I might as well have. It was so such a kind of a, uh, you know, just sort of blurted out into my consciousness that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, so, now, so the incident at the time, even the next day and subsequent days, um, you, you didn't have any particular uh, curiosity or wondering about why you had gone out there in the middle of the night without having planned it? None at all. None at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, uh, you know, we can we can really assume that they, these other beings, who I would guess were probably the ones who sort of instructed you, without your being aware of it, um, instructed you to get up and go and, and sleep at that place. Um, you know, they... They have ways also of making it seem so normal or so unspectacular that that we don't really 
question it very much afterwards. Yes. Yes. And that happens to person after person after person who is an experiencer of extraterrestrial encounters. But that's great. Now, staying on that experience for a minute, um, you're saying out loud, they're really pushing pretty hard tonight. Um, what do you think that meant to you? Were there any little flashes of remembrance or anything when you said that? Well, it's interesting because I had been reading a bunch of UFO material before then. That was uh, right when uh, Jacques Vallée, I think I had Jacques Vallée's, one of the trilogy books that he did in that series that came out in the late 80s, early 90s. I can't remember, uh, you know, one is called Confirmation, Mm -hmm. Revelation, and I can't remember the third one off the top of my head now. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dimensions, the other one was called. And oh, I had been right. reading that series. So, um, you know, so I felt like I was pretty well-versed in a lot of the, the issues in the abduction lore. And mm-hmm. I think my thought at the time was, like, oh, damn, I don't even want to think about the implications of that. You know, let's just, let's just you know, put the lid on that and just bury it down nice and deep, you know. <laughs> so Right. And as you were reading that material, so this was before 1993, before that experience? No, the experience would have been 1993, and this, I started reading books in 1991, and I remember that. I okay. Was, and then I started, okay. that was, I started reading UFO books uh, somewhat compulsively, and there's that word, compulsion, compulsive. I started yeah. reading UFO books of, rather compulsively around um, 1991. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And, and, and I think we can legitimately wonder about that, too. You know, why... Was that compulsion happening? Not everybody, certainly, has the compulsion to read books about UFOs. But some people do. And it, it seems to be, in my experience with, you know, probably several thousand people now talking to them at some length about these sorts of things, um, that it, it certainly seems like if you develop a really avid interest in this sort of thing, that, you know, maybe it's because you're already having experiences, and maybe you've had them all your life, but they've been covered in your consciousness. Not that necessarily you've covered them, but that the beings who visit us seem to have a way of, um, you know, blocking our memory, covering our memory of these things. It, It seems like that's very often tied together. I'd, I'd like to say one other thing this is reminding me of, that as I had mentioned a while ago, I never paid any attention to uh, the UFO phenomenon or aliens or anything of that sort in my life. I'd been very philosophical. I'd been, uh, I was a philosophy major, in fact, in college, and um, and then went on to be a, a therapist, focused on that sort of thing, um, and didn't give any attention whatsoever to the occasional reference I'd hear to UFOs or see a UFO type of movie advertised. I had no interest whatsoever. Thought it was all science fiction, and I just didn't care. But in 1992... So this was before 
the wake-up call, you know, in my regression therapy training a few years before that. In 1992, I visited a friend um, in Southern California. She lived up in the mountains near Idlewild, and we were going to go to an art fair. Well, I got to her house a little bit early, and she was getting dressed in the other room, and I picked up a table, I mean, a, a, a book on her coffee table, and was absolutely stunned. And this book was called UFO Contact from the Pleiades. And it was all about the Billy Meyer um, filming and contacts encounters that he'd had with Pleiadian beings in Switzerland. Well, this was my first uh, introduction, shall we say, to the fact that, you know, maybe, 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 there really are uh, beings that come from somewhere else. Maybe there are really UFOs. Anyway, I picked up that book, and I read most of it while I was waiting for my friend, and I had that sensation of just being filled with light and energy and excitement. And, of course, that book was so positive about these Pleiadian beings and how they really care for us humans and think of us as their little brothers to help and to guide. And um, and I also read about the scientific research that had been done about the films and the photos that Billy Meyer had already taken in the 1970s of UFOs that visited him. So... I suddenly thought, oh, wow, you know, that's something I never cared about or paid attention to, but maybe maybe I ought to, you know, because here this man is taking these films and photos of these UFOs and testifying to messages that were coming through one of the Pleiadian women who kept visiting him over a period of a number of years. So that was just a, a startling thing. I didn't know where to place it in my own mind or in my life. And my friend and I went and did the art festival and went on with our lives. And then I got inspired to learn regression therapy and did that for a few years, mid-1980s. And then uh, this uh, trainer, as I mentioned before, said, you know, there are these visits, these encounters that happen with beings from somewhere else in the universe, and uh, that kind of my wake-up call. So actually, you know, when I look back, it was kind of a, a series of things that happened that led up to my being prepared in a way to do this work. And as a psychotherapist, this has really turned out to be quite a large proportion of my psychotherapy work, working with people. And I've learned so much from these encounters of, of the people who've come to me that I have spoken at many, many conferences, including the really large international UFO congresses and the MUFON Symposium and many MUFON groups and many, 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 many groups. 
and then of course eventually uh, wrote the book Alien Experiences with Nadine Lalich, was which was published in 2008. So, you know, I never earlier in life ever thought that anything like this would ever be part of my life experience or that it was even true. But I think that, you know, somehow we are gently guided, gently led, um, you know, to find out about this and to get involved as if, now here's my speculation, of course, uh, as if these other beings, or at least some of them, some of these other extraterrestrial beings want humans who do experience this to be able to realize what's going on and to get some help in assimilating this and being all right with these encounters happening. Yes, it seems like sometimes these, um, you know, the the chapters in one's life, when you step back and examine them, you know, they they seem like these events are prearranged or orchestrated for, for you know, for the effect. Now, it's interesting because I'm very, very skeptical of the Billy Myers story and the Billy Myers photographs. My, mm-hmm. my, in I, I don't think I'm alone in that. And my sense is that, um, in in, uh, it's probably not like dogmatic. Like he is, I don't believe he is an absolute. 100% charlatan. I do feel that there may have been some real events in his life and mm-hmm. that um some of the photographs may in fact be genuine, but um you know, I just I just feel there's so much controversy surrounding him. I have to be careful. I'm not a photographic expert, but I've, you know, read, you know, pros and cons of of his photographs uh, uh but um you know, it's almost given the strangeness of this phenomena. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he was somehow compelled to set himself up as a, um, I don't want to, I guess cult leader is almost as good a word as any, and then have these, these controversies swirling around him. So, you know, there's, there's like a push and pull in his story that, um, that, that may be part of the overall phenomena. You know, I just, or, or whether it's his own, uh, ego that just that wanted the attention and then created uh, oh some of the hoaxes. You know, my guess is that he may have had a genuine set of experiences and then just built on those. Well, you know, I think we will probably never ever know. I also think that he had um, a set of genuine experiences, and I think that um, the photographs. Well, as far as I know, even fairly recently. Uh, still test out in the photographic testing, uh, test out to be genuine. And then there's all that material that came through him, all the channeled material. And some people uh, really revere that and think it's absolutely true. And some people wonder about it. I think just as with the whole UFO phenomenon, it probably will remain very, very controversial. Now, now here's what it did do, though. Like, if you look at your chapter of your, you, you, it had an impact on you. Oh yeah. And and uh, you know, so almost, let's even you know, like I mean, a fictional movie could have had an impact on you too. So it doesn't really matter 
you yeah. know what what the source of that impact was in a way it's it's the it's what you did with that impact and it's yeah, interesting it's because you said um very much uh that that you know the his experiences with these alleged Pleiadians was very positive and you resonated strongly with that and i will say that um more than many of the researchers your take on this is much more positive than let's say um david jacobs Yes, that's really true, and others who yeah. work with this phenomenon as well. And I'm assuming during your time as a therapist, you must have encountered people who have had you know, dark, scary experiences. Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. Many have. Now, I think the difference between my work with people who've had dark, scary, frightening, painful um, experiences is that that's not all of the picture. In other words, anybody, and I've, oh yes, I've conducted many people through, you know, experiences that have been very frightening to them, and I can certainly appreciate that. They would be for me too, if I experienced it. However, if that person will do more than that one regression, if that person would even continue further in that same experience in the regression without being brought right back home, uh, they would probably find, at least this is what has happened uh, with people I've worked with, they probably will find that they, yes, there are beings who do those things which they strongly object to. And yet, even in the same experiences, while they're still on the same craft, they may be taken to another room and have encounters with other beings whom they experience much more positively, beings who will really train them and teach them, uh, train them in things like developing psychic skills, for instance, or train them in doing physical healing, or they may even heal these people, the extraterrestrials might heal them, not just do medical checkups and things that are frightening to the person, but actually continue on to do healing of something that the person really has wrong with them. Or sometimes uh, these beings, or some of them, will tell the person after a physical exam that they have a particular problem, like let's say, for instance, a liver problem and that they really need to go to a doctor when they get back to Earth and check out that problem because it's brewing and they don't even know about it yet, but it's going to be a real problem unless they get that taken care of. And um, so people, you know, even who've had very scary things happen, uh, very often realize that there are some very positive things that happen with other beings on different occasions or even in the same occasion. Now, I know a lot of people, you know, really object to, and I don't blame them, to being taken in the middle of the night or whenever they're taken and put on a medical table and uh, they're naked and they're inspected and they may be given injections, they may have probes, they may have samples taken of their fluids and their blood, they may have implants taken, they may even have reproductive procedures going on. Now, 
I think we certainly can understand why somebody, male or female, you know, would really object to those things. And uh, that can be experienced in a very horrific way. But again, if I have them remain in that experience, I think many regression people bring them right back and assume that's all that there was to the experience. Um, But if I have them remain longer, usually there seems to be a much more interesting, helpful, positive component to the experience. So some of my experiencer clients have actually, during regressions, have asked the beings, why are you doing this? Why are you doing these medical checkups and probes and so forth? And when they ask, and they're sincere about asking, they seem to get, in most cases, they seem to hear answers back from the beings. And so often it's happened that the answer that they hear back is that they, the individual, person, human, is very important to them and is in a long relationship with them and there are many purposes for that, and that when they are brought to the craft, that it's important for these beings to check them medically and see how they are doing. They, they want these people to be healthy, and they fix certain health problems, if the person has a health problem. And um, so it's kind of like our doctors want to check on us and see how we're doing. The only big difference is that, uh, and this is a huge difference, is that we people here on Earth, we usually volunteer. We actually um, initiate that we will go to a doctor for a checkup. Or maybe the doctor gets in touch with us and reminds us that we haven't had a checkup for a while. Now, this is in comparison to a person who is suddenly uh, without their conscious awareness of choice um, are taken by strange beings to a craft and put on a medical table and examined. So that seems very, very intrusive, as we can understand. But there is, according to some of these beings, um, a lot of good happening even for that human individual who's taken to an experience like that. So you see, it, it depends on how we look at it. And I always try to work in the counseling part of these sessions, I'll work with a person, you know, how do you view this? How, what are you making of it? Uh, what is the meaning of this for you? How can you apply this to your life in a way that makes sense to you? And also, I certainly like to ask the person, after doing a regression um, to uh, decide for himself or herself how true, how real that experience seems to be from their point of view. You know, so there's this sort of engagement of the person in the conscious counseling sense later about what happened in the regression when they were in an altered state of conscious and and when the subconscious mind presumably was 
bringing up the details of something that had happened in one of these encounters. Now, so now it's, oh, oh, go it's, ahead. It, yeah, sorry. It's a much more complex um, subject than many people think. I think it's very easy for people to write it all off as, oh, it's all terrible, invasive, um, invading our privacy, forcing us to do things we don't want to do. And, you know, I mean, I have to agree there. It certainly does seem that way. But now we get to the question that many, many people have who experience this, the question of why me? You know, why are they picking on me? Why are they doing this? Why don't they do it to somebody else down the street? I don't get it. And, of course, they wonder that. Well, when they seriously want to know why they were chosen for these extraterrestrial encounters, and if they do want to go back to the original reason for that, the source of it, the beginning, the root of their having these experiences, what comes out from those regressions seems to be two major things. One is, and this was to my surprise when it first came up years ago with somebody, is that they found in the regression that they had been in previous lifetimes a member of that particular species of extraterrestrial that is working with them currently in this lifetime. And that, and with some of those people, uh, we've done a number of regressions too. There being an extraterrestrial of a particular type in a previous lifetime and found out a lot about that and a lot about their interest in human beings on Earth. And at some point in that last previous lifetime, as an extraterrestrial, those fellow beings and this soul, who was then an extraterrestrial, they agree that this soul of that extraterrestrial will come in a subsequent lifetime to Earth in the form of a human being and that the other fellow extraterrestrial beings who are sort of uh, guiding this and commissioning this that they will visit this soul who is now a human being living right here with us on Earth and they will have a number of checkups with that person they will guide the person they will learn a lot about the human race through having one of their own be a human for this lifetime. So when a person discovers that, and believe me, I do not in any way guide them into that sort of information in a regression. Uh, we just simply, in a very neutral way, go back to uh, what is the source of your having these experiences with extraterrestrials now here and and that comes up for many people and when it does those people usually become extremely intrigued and relieved in a way although a bit befuddled because who could be prepared for discovering they were an extraterrestrial 
in previous lifetimes. I mean, that's an adjustment, let's face it. But then they become very interested in the beings. And then in subsequent encounters with those beings, having found this out, they now have a much more friendly attitude toward the beings, and they have much more rapport, much more mutual communication with those beings, and even come to look forward to future encounters with those beings and miss them when they don't have encounters for a while. So now I want to go on to the second reason that comes up when people do a regression to find out the source, the beginning, the reason, the root for their having these extraterrestrial encounters. And that is that they find themselves in um, another dimension without their physical body, but they are a very conscious, aware soul with other conscious, aware souls, and they are deciding with those fellow souls that they're going to be coming into a lifetime on Earth. Again, they probably have many, many times before. And so they're having kind of like a a little uh, meeting, a little guidance session, a little council meeting, so to speak, about where they're going to be born on Earth, to what culture, what race, uh, what part of the world, and then more specifically, which set of parents and why, why are they choosing that particular set of parents to be born to. And into that planning session, what they experience is that extraterrestrial beings come. Now, those were presumably extraterrestrial souls who come into that planning session in this other dimension. And they say, well, now that you're planning some of the major things that you're going to be experiencing in that lifetime, and you know why you're choosing to do that, and you're not yet incarnated, but you're going to be soon, um, would you agree to working with us? We are very interested in human beings. We would like to be able to come and visit you and test you and, and have uh, many experiences with you. You would be one of the people we're doing a study on, on Earth. There might be some benefits for you, and there definitely are learning benefits for us. And would you agree to do that from time to time? And this soul decides, yes, yes, I'll do that. And so just like all the other things that we decide as souls before coming into this lifetime or into any lifetime, uh, we forget what we've already decided. You know, we're born as infants and, and babies and growing to being toddlers and young children and teenagers and adults, and we forget that that has happened on the soul level, just like we very often have forgotten what are the themes that we're working on in this lifetime. What are the things we've come here to learn? Uh, what are we? What have we come here to uh, advance in, or make amends for, in previous lifetimes, etc.? And we consciously are usually not aware of those things, particularly, and uh, we're not aware of having made this agreement with the extraterrestrials. So when a person 
finds out in regression that that's what has happened to them, that really gives them a whole different viewpoint of these extraterrestrial contacts that have been happening. Usually they end up with a much more favorable uh, viewpoint of the whole thing and become more interested in those beings. So I'd like to interject here, Mike, that people who have these extraterrestrial experiences, it seems to me, from my experiences with them, with people who've had many regressions, 30, 40, 50, 60 regressions, that the more that they know about the beings and what's happened in those encounters, the more they want to know and the less traumatic the whole thing is. In fact, it seems like people I've worked with who really get this extraterrestrial material coming up in hypnotic regressions are usually relieved right away. Oh, now I know what's happened. Oh, I see. Okay, well, even if I didn't like some of the things that they did, it's all beginning to make more sense. These are the kinds of things I hear people say. And when I direct their attention to really noticing more about the extraterrestrials themselves on any subsequent um, abduction that might happen, that becomes even more interesting. Now, I'll refer to this wonderful woman, Nadine Lalich, um, the co-author of my book, Alien Experiences. And um, Nadine had already come to that conclusion herself before she met me, which I think was in around 2005, maybe possibly 2006. And she came to me saying that she knew I did this regression work. And... Um, she wanted to do regressions, and she wanted to find out absolutely everything that she possibly could about what the processes were that they were having her experience and what the beings were like. And she already had a remarkable amount of conscious recall of her experiences, which is unusual. Most people remember just the first few moments of an encounter or perhaps the last few moments of an encounter. But Nadine had trained herself from years before to um, wake up or become conscious at the end of an experience, sit up in bed, grab her notebook, which was right by her bed, turn on her light, and write down everything she could remember even if it wasn't in total sequence, everything she could remember about the experience that she had just had. And it amounted to really quite a lot. But she did, of course, find out many more details about those experiences when we did the regressions. And she became so fascinated in what the procedures were, a lot of testing, like mental testing, that her beings consistently seemed to do with her and what the medical checkups were all about and what the beings were all about. She, she put in subsequent 
abduction, she put more and more attention into the beings and into communicating with the beings. And when she or anybody else I've regressed really sort of devotes themselves to finding out as much as they can about the procedures and about the beings in any subsequent regressions or uh, encounters, which they might find out the details of in later regressions, um, the more they actually accept these experiences and even, in many cases, look forward to more experiences, more encounters. And many people have exclaimed to me, oh, yeah, nothing's happened to me for quite a while now, a few months now, and I miss it. I wish they would come back. So, you know, see, the more we know, I think the better off we are about these experiences. And I think, Mike, that you're a person who's really become dedicated to knowing as much as you can about these encounters. And I really give you credit for that. I, I encourage you in that. And I think that you're doing a lot of good, too, because, you know, you're writing your blogs and you're putting things up on the Internet. And I know that when you go to conferences, which is where I met you originally some years ago, um, you speak to many people, you attend the experiencer support groups, uh, you're interviewing people now about these experiences, you're really learning all that you can, and you're putting it out there, which is good, because my theory is that there are no doubt millions of people in the U.S. alone, and more millions worldwide, who are having these experiences and who might have little hints, little clues, little bits and pieces. They might remember a minute or so something peculiar, or they might find themselves in another place like you did on that night from New York, you know, the camping night we talked about. And, um, but they don't know what to make of it. And when they get hold of some of your information, it may be a tremendous help to them. It may help them to wake up and to recognize some of the things that have happened to them and kind of inspire them not to be just afraid of it, but to be curious and interested and find out more and more about it. So thanks to you for bringing out the information as much as you are. And this is certainly one reason why I myself really enjoy giving lectures or radio interviews like this or television interviews or speak at conferences or whatever, or even to just small groups of people about this topic of extraterrestrial encounters because it is so helpful to anybody who does or thinks they might have had this type of encounter themselves. It also, I think, stretches the minds of other people who have not had these experiences. You know, it helps to sort of, it's a contribution to changing the paradigm that human beings have pretty much agreed to. And by that I mean that 
I think that so many human beings in the world um, have concluded that the primary thing in existence is physical, three-dimensional reality, and that we are the only really intelligent life forms anywhere in existence. And boy, more and more, it, it seems really strikingly evident to me that there are other dimensions, not just the third dimension, and the other dimensions of reality are just as quote-unquote real as our third dimension, and that we're not the only intelligent life on Earth, or, or the only intelligent life anywhere. The universe is, I would say, just teeming with many, many different forms of highly intelligent life. And from our point of view here on Earth, of course, we call those beings extraterrestrials because they're extra, they're not from Earth. But just think how it must be from some of these other beings who live on other planets. I mean, we would be the extra Saturns or the extra Plutos or the extra Venusians or, you know, whatever the name of their planet is because we're not from their planet. So I think it's wonderful uh, that more and more people are sort of considering at least, and in some cases waking up, to the fact that, you know, this universe might be full of intelligent life. And some of that life be, may be advanced beyond our advancement. And some of those life forms do come here and interact with human beings. So, do you have any uh, reactions particularly, Mike? Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah, very much saying? so. This is uh, um, uh, the... Um, so, first of all, you complimented me on the work that I'd been doing on the blog and these, these uh, interviews and the way I, you know, uh, I feel like I take the time at a UFO conference very seriously and I make an effort to talk to folks. Um, very early on in this, my writing, uh, within the very first few weeks of me putting this up online, I had a psychic session with a woman named Marissa Ryan. I'm not sure if you know her. She's... I, I do know her. Yes, yeah, she's in Southern California where yes. I am. So, and then almost, uh, she didn't really know anything about me. I just kind of, I met her at the UFO conference and shook her hand. And and um, we had a half hour session. So um, she's she's you know, all business. And she basically says, okay, you only got a half hour. Let's crank this out. And without mm-hmm. skipping a beat, she said, you need to be writing. You have to be writing. You should write. You need to be writing. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I'm already doing that. I'm, I'm writing as much as I can at this point. So she was, and then, so she had, you know, was sort of confirming what I was already doing. And then she said, um, the reason you're writing, and I'm paraphrasing, though I do have this audio session, like part of it posted online. She said, oh, the cool. reason you're, um, doing this blog is that there are millions of people all over the world who have had their own set of experiences and don't know what to make of them, and they will find comfort and solace in your words. Oh, that's so true. I completely agree. Yes, I think that's wonderful. I mean, there may be many millions of people, for all we know, 
who have these encounters and they they just don't know whom to report it to they don't know whom to talk to they they're befuddled um confused and maybe living in fear because they don't understand it and yeah i think there's a minimal number of people that have the experiences that like nadine has where you mm -hmm. know with such profound memories or Uh um you know that whitley streber had or some you know the the people have had very very overt and intense experiences so there there's um and i think what there probably is is a lot more people out there who uh just have fleeting little glimpses that sort of bleed through and they don't know quite what to make of them oh yes i think that's very 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 common and uh, little flashbacks and and little oh little thoughts of wow you know last night wasn't that weird that there was all that light that came in the room and i don't understand where that came from it couldn't have come from headlights and and uh, and there was no sound and then the next thing i knew it was morning or people who wake up and they have a new marking on their body that they didn't have when they went to bed and uh they said i my goodness I couldn't possibly have done that, like little pinprick marks in a in a pattern or a straight line or yeah. uh, forming a ring or little triangular shaped bruises or fingertip looking bruises and uh, all kinds of things with their clothes on but put on backwards now or inside out or upside down or somebody else's clothing on. I've heard that many times, sake. yeah. And, uh, and they think, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. And and they don't know what to do with it. And if they mention it to anybody, they will, those people will usually just shrug their shoulders. Well, I don't know. That's weird. So, so that's it. here's a question for you. You run a support group, and, and you've yes. interacted with folks, and I just think the support group is a kind of a, an easy picture for someone to have in their mind. Um, mm-hmm. What percentage, and you know, you don't have to be exact, just roughly, what percentage of the people in your support groups have had uh, positive experiences versus the percentages that, that sort of um, frame everything as a negative experience? Well, I'd say that many of them have had some experiences which they felt were um, negative and scary, frightening, intrusive, abusive, and so forth. But... If they, and this is a very important but, um, if they will um, continue that uh, abusive part as they experience it, um, as I said earlier, uh, they'll find out that there's an educational component to it, and uh, which something which they regard much more positively. Um, and on subsequent occasions, they'll often find out things that... Um, they're really very pleased to know about. They get more of a sense of the beings and that the beings actually care for them and are helping them out in many ways, educating them in various ways. Um, So even, I'd say, if any of these people have had what they experienced as a negative experience, a frightening, scary one, at first, um, they've come through with realizing that that's not all there is to the picture. And um, and they want to learn more about it. And they discuss these things very openly. And, you know, because they can talk about this freely, because everyone in the group is an experiencer, 
we don't, we don't have any looky-loos. Um, they're all people who've experienced extraterrestrial encounter. And, and we know that because they've all done at least one regression with me. That's sort of a prerequisite for being in this particular group. And uh, so they all have a common playing field, and they're intrigued with each other's experiences. And they realize, of course, that anything that they didn't like in any of their experiences, uh, you know, turned out to be non-harmful, non-destructive, and they get perspectives from each other about those physical exams and physical processes. And in fact, you know, it's it's uh, interesting that uh, people in my group are really eager every time to see if they have any new implants. And the way that they find out about this um, is through one of the members of our group who comes almost every time from, oh, about a two-hour drive away. Uh, he brings a black light which can detect fluorescence on the skin of experiencers. And so if one of my group members has had a, a recent experience, that is probably within the last month, um, there will probably be a trace or two or more of fluorescent markings on their skin that shows up with a black light. And we're attributing those fluorescent markings to some substance from the extraterrestrials, either from their skin or maybe through some of their instrumentation or something they've done with the person. And, um, and then they also can detect uh, new implants if they're metallic uh, with uh, the same group member brings a stud finder, you know, which finds metal studs in the wall. And it's the same way, that it, it can detect something metal inside the body. So when, whenever he comes, which is most sessions, uh, people eagerly line up to have themselves scanned. And in many cases, they do have new traces of fluorescence on a different part of their body than they did even the month previously. And one time, the black light happened to shine on the carpet of my living room floor where we have these meetings. And there was some fluorescence in the carpet, which sort of suggested to us, anyway, the, the possibility that um, an extraterrestrial had been there. Now, whether he had interacted with me on that occasion, I don't know. But um, he, it seemed like one of those beings apparently had been there. So um, the point I'm really getting at is that once people know that they're having these experiences and they're adapting to it, they're adjusting to it, they're living with it better, they're accepting it, and they're interested in knowing more and more and more about it, um, it, it the whole thing takes such a different look. And, and they no longer seem to think of these encounters as frightening. Now, now Although the f- oh. I, I do have to say, sorry to <laughs> blur it in here, but um, because it's startling when an encounter like this begins, somebody who's very reconciled to it 
comfortable with it, wants to know more about it, even that kind of person can, on occasion, when an experience is just starting, they can still have that startle effect and still have, you know, feelings of fear coming up in them initially, as you would when you're suddenly startled with something that you don't expect, especially something as unusual as this. But as they continue in the experience, that startle effect wears off and the familiarity sets in and they feel more and more okay about it. Now, you were talking about the implants and the testing that was done by a, uh, a fellow that mm-hmm. visits your your um, your meetings. Now, I think I know who that is, and, and I've spoken with him many times. We've talked on the phone plenty, and, and uh, I've seen him at numerous conferences. I, I think we're talking about the same fellow. And he yes, had a booth. Who is a nanotechnologist. Yes, actually. he had a booth at um, the uh, recent conference. He did, and, uh, and, he and was I testing people. Mm-hmm. And I went in, and I, this is actually is very interesting. This is one of my list of questions here. I went into that booth, so he found fluorescence on my hand. It was faint, but it was there. And mm-hmm. then I came out of the booth, and and I did, uh, you know, sat there, and he went over me with a stud finder, which I thought was very interesting. Just a you know something right from the hardware store, That's and. Right. Um, he found two anomalous readings on the back of my head, mm. and one very faint one right would be right at my third eye, basically right in the middle of my forehead. And so uh-huh. that one he basically called probable. He said it's very minimal. And he also said that he had received like a, a psychic impression or psychic communication that the ones that are positioned in the uh, you know the third eye area are not metallic he he called it a plastic composite and he oh. said that they've actually removed some and then yes that because he works with Roger Lear and yeah. and that they uh it did in fact um match the description that was given to him in a psychic form it was not metallic it was some sort of plastic composite um mm. so and then i had one in my left hand between my ring finger and my middle finger and that little sort of tiny little web area between the two fingers and then one in my foot. So that means I had four that he found and then I had one that was probable at my third eye. Now, here's where I'm this is this is the skeptic in me. What mm-hmm. I like to, you know, this to me was uh basically I said so what's the next step? And he said get us get a uh, um an x-ray. So I felt that I can say that I've sat with this friend of mine. He did the um uh, you know his little survey using he also used a Geiger counter and a magnetometer and a magnetometer is something you can you know if something is giving off like a walkie talkie gives off electrical impulse, impulses so a magnetometer can read that um, I didn't get any readings with the Geiger counter or the magnetometer though I did get it with the black light in the dark room and uh-huh. with the stud finder so um, he uh, like I felt I feel very comfortable saying I got anomalous readings you know with my interaction yes. through the stud finder and you know through the through the metal detector um as well as anomalous uh, uh fluorescence on my hand my left hand now mm-hmm. um i'm very cautious to say that i have an alien implant um and that's that's just me now the, one of the things that i found a little bit worrisome to me is that there there was kind of a buzz at the 
at the uh, conference where people were kind of walking around and they would be all sort of proud and they said like i they found two alien implants in me and i was i i, I just that's the the skeptic in me and that's the the uh, much too cautious on my own and that was oh, a little sure. i would much rather them say i found you know that we found two anomalous readings that i need to do further investigation on yes well i think that's that's a better way that that you say it um otherwise you're really jumping to conclusions exactly yeah but I think that the fact that there, there does register something in there uh, really is a good basis for further investigation. And I agree. And I agree. And, uh, and then it was funny because there were characters at the, uh, um, uh, the place, at the, excuse me, at the conference who, you know, they would kind of roll their eyes and say like, oh, I've had so much alien contact. It happens to me all the time. It's just, and they would go in there and, and, and uh, you know, I would talk to them. I hung out there and, and made made a big effort to sort of pay attention to how this thing was run. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, uh, uh, you know, the people who, you know, for instance, uh, Stan Romanek, you know, came out of there, and he's a character who, you know, claims a lot of encounters and he came Mm -hmm. out basically saying he lit up like a christmas tree and then there was another woman that i talked to from sedona and she's a psychic and she's had all kinds of experiences and she came out with all kinds of readings as well as all kinds of fluorescence so Mm -hmm. you know i would love to see like a proper study and have you know joe normal off the street um also take you know get get mixed in as a control group um as opposed to just people that would be wonderful i think that's important actually yeah so um where was I going with this? I had a, I had a uh... so yes, yeah, so that 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 was fascinating to me. And oh, and now here, this is what I was going to say. There was also a fellow there, and you may know him. I think he's from California. His name, uh, uh, I don't think he would mind at all if I used his name. His name was Jerry, and he was doing um, yes. he was doing psychic readings. Yes, he's in my experiencer group as well. Yes, so he would mm-hmm. basically hold your hand and look into your eyes and sort of do a psychic reading. Now, I, the way it was sort of busy then, and I didn't actually get a chance, I had to come back and meet with Jerry, and Jerry was at the end of the day, and, and he held my hand and looked in my eyes, and he basically kind of scrunched up his eyebrows and sort of said, um, do you believe in angels? And he, oh. he said, yeah, something's going on. I don't, this is, you get a, you have a funny reading. I'm, 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 I sense much more something angelic. And whatever that means, and that's as, that's about as far as he would go. Um, huh. And that was busy, and he was at the end of the day, and he basically said, listen, I'm burned out, so you know, mm. I'm cautious how much to read into that. But here's what I want to say, is that I, there, I'm sh- quite certain there's people uh, out there who would, um, uh, and I'll, I'll just use David Jacobs as an example. I, I'm quite okay. certain David Jacobs would not approve of, of a psychic and a material scientist you know, behind the table doing these kind of uh, interactions at a UFO conference Um, because, you know, one person is is approaching it from a scientific standpoint and one person is approaching it from an entirely spiritual uh, side. But Mm -hmm. I thought that it was wonderful. I just thought it was great. And and I just recognized that um, there is and there needs to be an addition to whether it's the scientific community or maybe just a just a open-mindedness to the nuts and bolts crowd that these psychics and these uh, people with intuitive skills m- can add clues. You know what I mean? Like if you're yes. a detective in a detective novel and and someone says, you know, like, oh, I you know heard gunshots and I saw a man run out of the building and he threw something in the bushes. You know, um, oh, right. you know it would. You know that maybe that's the kind of information a psychic gives you, but there are people who would dismiss that outright. But I just feel like if a psychic told me that, I would, 
I would go look in the bushes for that clue. Um, sure, sure. And, uh, and yeah, so that made me feel great. This is on record, too, where um, psychics have helped police and investigators um, to find, you know, a missing person or a body or and And oftentimes... And oftentimes, I will add that that takes place in secret, where the police don't publicize that. And it's my understanding from knowing a few of these psychics that the police use these tools more often than we would guess. They simply don't share the, that they're doing that just because of the public stigma. I suspect that's probably true. Yeah, and I too think that um, Jerry and and the scientist, we'll call him Steve. Um, that they were a very, very good combination. You know, the scientific um, detecting of objects in the body and fluorescence on the skin combined with, for anybody who wanted to use both of those um, offerings, um, combined with the psychic reading of Jerry. I mean, I think that that was a wonderful balance. I agree. And I a agree. real service. And so many people at the UFO Congress... Uh, took advantage of that because, of course, a lot of people who go year after year to these very large UFO conferences, uh, many of them, you know, have had encounters and they may or may not be aware of it, but there's certainly a reason why they dedicatedly will travel great distances and spend a lot of money and give five days or a week um, to the conference um, year after year, and yet they may not be aware that they've had experiences. And yes. They may or may not have, but there there are certainly reasons, I think, why their dedication to this subject continues. For instance, I have a, a very good friend um, from South Africa. Now, that's pretty far away from uh, Laughlin, Nevada, where the UFO Congress happened for many years, and now it's happening in Scottsdale, Arizona. But she comes every year from South Africa to go to the UFO Congress. And um, she is absolutely not aware of ever having had any encounters. But she is dedicated to learning as much as she can about it. And then she takes home the DVDs, used to be videotapes, of the speakers from these conferences and takes them back and shares them with people in South Africa. So, And then the, she and her husband travel widely in uh, Europe and England and all over the place, anyway, most of the year. And, um, and they share with people they meet along the way. So maybe she's one of these people, whether or not she's had her own encounters, uh, one of these people who, you know, somehow is being uh, guided, encouraged, etc., by some of these beings to share the material. They want more people to know about it. Yes, yes, and that yeah, that that compulsion that that's that shows up. You know, that she's going there for a reason, and you know, you know, I am left after having immersed myself in this subject in in this research and talking to people i am left to conclude that um uh you know people who act that way quite possibly would have you know their own 
contact experience, even if it's just a voice in their head that's that's telling mm-hmm. them to you know like you know sp- dis, you know spread this information around or something. I, I'm you know, um, but I'm yeah. you know when when I said earlier that uh, Leo Sprinkle and Raymond Fowler, as well as you, have had uh, direct experience with with these entities. Um, mm-hmm. um, I have also, and I'm sure you would agree with me. I've had conversations with people at conferences or over the telephone, and then they have uh, confided in me that they've had their own experiences. Um, yes. Uh, and then I'm almost left to conclude that, which I don't think is correct, but I do kind of, you know, in exasperation, sometimes just think to myself, like, wow, I, you know, I wonder if every UFO researcher has had some sort of contact experience. I don't quite think that's true, but I, you know, you certainly yeah. understand why I would think that. Oh, yes, and that's something that I've wondered as well. Now, John Mack, of course, was just, oh, fantastic um, champion of the cause, shall we say, of extraterrestrial encounters being real. And, of course, he was a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a Pulitzer Prize winner and a very highly respected, highly credible person, and he regressed many people to extraterrestrial experiences and wrote those two wonderful books about this. Abduction was the first one, and Passport to the Cosmos uh, was the second one. And um, he, uh, well, I knew him very well, which was wonderful. In fact, I guided him around crop circles for 10 days. Oh, that sounds magical. Oh, yeah, what a wonderful experience. Oh, really precious. And uh, and that was in two th- the summer of 2004. And then um, two months later, he was hit by a car and killed in London. So I just am so treasuring that experience that I had with him. And I knew him, you know, a number of times before that uh, crop circle adventure, too. But he um, always claimed that he was not aware whatsoever of any extraterrestrial encounters that had happened to him. But here he was, this elegant, effective uh, champion for the reality of extraterrestrial encounters. Uh, So he might be a notable example. I think, and I think I touched on this before, I think that extraterrestrials who are very interested in humans um, have quite a number of ways of working with us. Um, As has already been implied, I think, from what I've said about my own life, um, I think that there is guidance coming to me, not in the form of a being standing right in front of me or anything, um, but I, I think that there must be guidance coming from them or some of them um, to keep me going in doing the work that I'm doing and particularly in speaking publicly about it, like I'm doing right at the moment on your um, show. Um, I know that I've, I've met a few people and regrets a few people who have as far as we know, have never been encountered in the sense of being taken to a craft or taken anywhere, 
but still they're involved in the phenomenon because they are downloaded information from some of these beings. And when they're downloaded with information, they appear to be, if anyone is nearby, they appear to be extremely deeply asleep. And one man whom I regressed a couple of times, he had an experience where he was camping uh, with his whole family in a big tent, uh, the kind of tent that's big enough that you can stand up and, mm-hmm. and walk around, and about 12 of them were all sleeping in the same tent. And there was one night when, through the upper, well, the ceiling of the tent, was this bright light, and they could hear a hum. And everybody in the tent went out, or at least looked out the windows, or opened the flap, and saw this big UFO overhead. And they knew that my client would be very interested and would love to see it, so they tried to wake him up. And they couldn't wake him up. Everybody tried. They yelled. They pounded on him. They stepped on him. They kicked him. (laughs) They rolled him over. And he just wouldn't wake up. But he was breathing. They knew he was alive. And it turned out, according to the regression, that during all of their efforts to wake him up with the UFO overhead, pretty closely overhead, too, um, that he was being fed or downloaded information from them. And he was in such a deep state that they had put him in for this downloading that that's why he couldn't be awakened. And this has happened with um, a few other people I've worked with as well. So sometimes people are downloaded with information but not actually taken to a craft or abducted, as many people say. I had an interaction with a psychic. Her name is Anya Briggs, and she did a psychic session with me. And then after that session, I was little odd things were happening in my life. Uh, this, the cat saw something in the middle of the living room that wasn't there and got all puffed up. And, and, mm. uh, um, and then I was also having probably... I want to say three or four nights in a row, I was having a dream, a re- reoccurring dream. And the dream was, now this is very typical of the way my brain works. I mean, I work as a professional cartoonist. Mm-hmm. I was lying on the pillow. So in the dream, I'm lying on the pillow. And I have a funnel, like just a you know, plastic funnel you would get it, you know, that you get out of your kitchen. And it was, so I'm on the, my side on the, on the uh, pillow. And then in the dream, there's a plastic funnel um, in my ear. And these little teeny like little squares, like little cereals, you know, like little check cereal or something like that. Uh-huh. These little simple uh-huh. little squares are sort of yeah. gently floating into the funnel. And the mm. implication is they're going straight into my ear. And as each one oh. goes in, it says higher physics. And the next one goes in oh. and it says spirituality. And the next one goes uh-huh. in and it says, you know, psychic skills or something like that. I'm, mm. I'm kind of embellishing a little bit because it was so fleeting. But I do remember very clearly that was one of the things that happened after... Uh, and I wrote about it, and I drew a little cartoon picture. So, um, oh wow, I'd love to see that. Yeah. So anyway, that was. I mean, the implication is that I was, I was, uh, you know, translating a downloading experience multiple nights in a row uh, mm. using kind of cartoony imagery, which is exactly how I would, you know, be most comfortable. Uh, oh sure. You know, like. Uh, 
what would be the term, transferring or communicating that information. Mm -hmm. Hey, we've been going at it for an hour and 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And how are you holding up? I'm just doing fine. Do you have have anything to do at uh, 2 o'clock, which would be, I guess, 1 o'clock your time? Well, I have to have lunch then because... Um, I have a client coming for a long se- okay. session this afternoon. Okay, so um, I don't mm-hmm. know, in the in the moments we have left, could you just very briefly, I know this is challenging, just describe the um, the experience you had in the middle of your living room when you, when you met that entity? Yes, I've actually had um, about four experiences with extraterrestrial beings, and I'm not one of those people who um, have had experiences ever since... Um, uh, childhood or even... Not that you know of, but... you know, okay. Not that I know of. Yes, thank you very much. And I say that to people all the time. Not that you know of yet. <laughs> so, um, but as an adult, um, and this was about, oh, probably a, approximately 10 years ago, um, I had been working uh, probably for 10 or 11 years already with people who experience extraterrestrial encounters and had done, you know, hundreds, maybe even a thousand regressions um, to that type of subject. And then um, one day I was walking through my living room in the middle of the afternoon from my study into, into my living room, going purposely to the other end of the house for something. And it was bright and daylight, sunlight coming in. I was perfectly awake, perfectly alert, perfectly conscious. And as I walked into the living room, I noticed that there was somebody standing there. And not just any old somebody. And I had thought, of course, I was alone in the house and the doors were locked, so that was a surprise. But I was especially amazed that the one who was standing there seemed to be like a very sturdy, upright, reptilian male being. Now, I've never been comfortable with reptiles in my life. I've never wanted to touch lizards or snakes. I'm interested in them, but I've never wanted to touch them. But this man, this being, although totally reptilian-looking, just seemed to have such a nice expression and exuded such a nice energy about him that although I was startled that there was somebody there, I actually felt pleasantly surprised and walked right over to him and held his hand. Now, what I was consciously aware of was looking into his eyes. His face was probably about a foot or so away from my face. He was just a little bit taller than I, so in other words, he was probably about five foot five or five foot six inches tall, and I was aware that he had very, very bright yellow eyes, round-shaped eyes, with a vertical slit uh, for a pupil, and the vertical slit actually was kind of like a little lightning strike shape rather than just a straight line. Mm-hmm. And they were intriguing. I was aware of the, all the different colors and textures of his skin. And he held his hand out for a handshake, and I held his hand. 
and my conscious awareness probably lasted about a minute, I would guess. And then suddenly, it seemed to me, he was gone. And I, I just was amazed. And I kept reminding myself, gee, I kept going over and over it again in my mind. I just walked in from the study into the living room, and there he was standing. I went over, and I held his hand, and I can still feel what that felt like. And then he was gone. And I kept saying, now, did that really happen? Yes, it really happened. Well, about a month after that, I had a colleague regress me, a colleague who is well-experienced in regression work. And in the regression, it was the same beginning of the experience. And my being pleasantly surprised and really happy to see him and um, the experience lasted at least several minutes longer than what I've been consciously aware of and the gist of it was that he said ah Barbara so he already knew of me even though I didn't know of him he said ah Barbara good now you know now that you know that I am here, you are looking at me, you're seeing me, you're feeling me, our hands are holding each other, you can feel me physically, now you know that this is real, that I am real, that I am really here with you. I have come from elsewhere, but now you know I am here. And the point of all this he said, was that he and they, I guess that's other ones like him, out there in space, have been aware that I do this regression work with people who've experienced beings from elsewhere. He kept using that term, from elsewhere. And we know, he said, that when you, Barbara, are conducting regressions with people who've had experiences with these other beings that you completely believe what's going on and you trust that the experience is real to you it is real and yet we know that if you have not done a regression for a while uh, uh, maybe a month or so that sometimes the thought creeps in could this really be happening for people? Is this really real? It certainly seems like it when I'm doing a regression, but could it really be true? So he said, we know that you think that now and then. And so I have been sent as a friendly ambassador from others, from elsewhere, um, to let you have your own experience conscious awake in the light of day and this is not a dream it's nothing you can wonder about later you can feel me you're touching me you hear me he was talking by the way telepathically i don't remember hearing a voice but i was definitely getting the words in my head and um we just think it's important for you to know and feel convinced that this really is happening to many people, including the people that you happen to be working with. And then he said a little more, too, that um, he often will visit, he or types like him, will visit people who ha 
are having experiences that they remember just a little bit about, and either they have or they haven't found out more from regressions, and they keep doubting that they're remembering correctly that these things may have really happened. And he'll just pop up very quickly in front of um, or near uh, a person who's having these experiences, and we'll let the person see him just for a moment or two, and then he pops out. Okay, can like I interrupt just me. a second? Now, sure. I have talked with folks who have had um, uh, experiences where they're sitting, like one, I talked to one person, he he seemed a completely genuine. He did not know what to make of this experience. He said he was at a uh, restaurant, and the person sitting across from him suddenly shapeshifted, morphed into a what amounted to a giant reptilian humanoid being. Wow! And mm-hmm. um, it just sat there for a little bit, looked around, and then whoosh, morphed right back into the person he was. He suspects that the person who he was talking to had no idea. Well, he doesn't suspect. You know, the the person he was talking to had no idea this had occurred. The, you know, so wow. he had basically shape shifted, and it happened in a restaurant. And he basically said this thing would have been eight foot tall oh, um, if it was standing up. So, so he said if anyone in the restaurant had seen it, they it would have cleared the 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 um, the. Uh, you know the restaurant out. People would have ran out screaming, but um, yeah. he he felt like it was a projection just for him, and he has he was at a loss to what to make of it. Oh yes, well, oh you would be at a loss. Um, I've heard this happen to other people as well, and um, no, I just I just yeah. interjected that just because you said that they sometimes will show up just momentarily, yes, just that's right. and so I don't know whether they need a host or whether they you know like do they need to shape shift using someone? It's a very odd, you know. This is this stuff gets so strange. I know. Well, I think they must have various ways because um, on my experience, I just told you about there was no one else in the house, mm-hmm. and so uh, he couldn't like do a shape-shifting thing through another human being. Um, it certainly seemed like he came, but it also seemed like he was just suddenly there, and and then he was suddenly not there, you know, and there was no opening of the front door or anything yeah. to, you know, have him come in the usual way that we would or leave. Um, so they they just do have unusual ways. But I still, all these years later, can clearly recall the feeling of his hand and only twice since then have I ever shaken hands with a human man who had a hand that felt very similar to that hand and uh, so it was definitely a different feel it was thicker, sturdier firmer um, than uh, the other human men's hands that I have felt in handshakes before or since then. Yeah. Anyway, for me, it was a very positive experience. Now, now, yeah, we can, so let's just jump back to one of the very first questions I had. So here you are, an, an, someone who researches the UFO abduction lore. You have this experience, basically a confirmation in, mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, he stated, um, if you trust the information that came through, he stated, you know, quite plainly that, you know, your role... As this is going to benefit your role as a as a researcher because you will have this this experience would erase any doubts. 
Yes, well, that was implied. I don't recall his actually saying Yes, it's, that. it's implied, yes, but that's the... But that, he knew yeah. that I was doing this in-depth work with people and, you know, probably knew that I was already for years speaking at many conferences and with many other kinds of groups about this. Uh, so I, I suppose he figured the more that I was uh, all the time convinced that this is real, that these things are really going on, uh, the better. He was one of those types who would really like humans to know more about this. Yeah, just fascinating. I mean, it's just fascinating that, you know, it happened to you. Um, one yeah. of the things I will do, we're, we're just creeping up on two hours here, one of the things I will do is uh, there's an audio interview you did with Carrie Cassidy uh, oh, from yes. Project Camelot, and and uh, I, um, I listened to that a couple times as a prep for this, uh, and, and in it you share that experience and several other experiences, uh, including mm-hmm. yeah, the seeing a crop circle being made, including um, another experience after the conclusion of of writing the book Alien Experiences, um, where you got a little little feedback. Um, Oh, had a wonderful visit with extremely beautiful, wonderful beings. And this was, uh, they rose me, they took me up right through the roof of my house, another daytime experience, and a conscious awake alert experience. Um, although I didn't remember the details of that until I had a regression on it. I just knew something had happened because suddenly it was daylight, and then the next thing I knew, it was dark, completely dark. A couple of hours had gone by, and they really had gone by. Yeah. And uh, I, I needed the regression to show me what had happened. But that was an extremely beautiful experience with lovely glowing beings um, seemed to be up in the sky quite a distance over my house and uh, no craft it just seemed to be misty, peachy, pinky color mist that I was taken into and they were there too, no floor no walls, so maybe it was another dimensional experience I really just don't know but they were aware that uh, Nadine Lalich and I had just finished writing Alien Experiences, and we hadn't um, submitted it to the publisher yet because we were still proofreading and so forth, but we'd actually completed it. And they were so pleased that we were getting this information out to anybody who would want to have it and went on and on about how it's really time now for humanity to be aware that there are many, many other beings, and many of them do come here and uh, have encounters with us, and that the universe is full of life, and more and more people need to be aware of that and not to be afraid of it and to, you know, accept that into uh, their own um, understanding of reality. And uh, so they're very, very pleased that we were going to be getting this information out and um, yeah just and, and then they went on to say what a brilliant combination it was um, that Nadine and I got together because we have such different skills and they were and the skills that each of us have is so complementary to each other that it's absolutely perfect and right that 
were working together and they hoped we would continue to work together, which indeed we are sometimes. Yes, and and I have connected with Nadine, and I've asked her to do an interview, um, and uh, I've asked a bunch of folks, and I I just need to follow up and actually just do them now. Uh, um, But, you know, and that was part of the reason I've heard her talk, I've heard some of her interviews, and she seems like a very grounded, straightforward, um, you know, person. So she makes a very strong spokesman. And she's a very intelligent person and a very creative person. Now, I don't mean that she's created these imaginary ET experiences, but she's very creative in the sense of, um, you know, having a website and putting all kinds of things up on her website, and now we're beginning to do a a, uh, film series to um, put on YouTube discussions, Mm -hmm. alien discussions, or alien conversations, I think, we're going to call it, and um, talking about all kinds of extraterrestrial matters from this whole subject, and um, and then we'll probably sell them as DVDs as well. And uh, and she's a delightful person, and yes, she's very grounded, and she is the person I mentioned a while back who um, recalls a tremendous amount of detail in her extraterrestrial encounters, and yet always learns more when she does the regressions. Well, that's great. She'll, she'll make a very fine interview for Good. you. Good. I'm looking forward to that. Hey, yeah. I, um, this has been wonderful, and I just, um, just thanks so much. It seems like we covered a lot. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Could we give information oh, absolutely. about my website? I absolutely. I'll let you go ahead and do that, and I will also make sure that that same information is repeated at the end by me. And that it is um, on the show notes, so that people will just be one oh, click good. away. So, okay, great. Well, my website for anyone who's interested finding out more about all these things is Barbara Lamb, L A M B, and the initials M F T dot com. So that's Barbara Lamb. M F T is for marriage and family therapist. Dot com Barbara Lamb, MFT.com. Um, email is Barbara underscore line Lamb at Verizon.net. I do get way behind on emails of all sorts, so be patient if you do email me. And um, the book we've referred to is Alien Experiences. Uh, co-authored by me, Barbara Lamb, and Nadine Lalich. That book is available on my website to order. And also, I'll refer to my other book, Crop Circles Revealed, co-authored with Judy Moore, Judith K. Moore. There's, those are both available on my website. Great, and I'll make sure all of that is linked. I can put some um, Im- images of the covers on there. And uh, oh, wonderful! Yes, well, this has be been great. just delightful, and um, and I appreciate it greatly. Well, good. It's been delightful for me too, and I really do commend you on the work that you're doing. Thank you, thank you, and, and keep on doing it. I shall, and um, <laughs> and uh, perhaps we can follow this up with, and and then and dig into some of the things we missed out. I have a long list of questions, some of which okay. we didn't get to. So um, you okay. know, maybe someday in the future we can do a part two. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you so much. Okay, Mike, go well. Okay, enjoy your afternoon.
Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Mike chiming in at the end here. I did something that I almost never do. I didn't edit this interview at all. Um, I made some notes. I got to some uh, points in the interview, and I was taking notes. And one of the things I said was edit down the Billy Meyer stuff. Um, I thought that I should uh, snip out some of that stuff, and I wrote that as I was listening. Um, I feel very strongly that there is something fishy about the Billy Meyer case. Uh, th- this didn't really feel like the format to, uh, you know, to, to try to debate something that I, I don't really care that much about. Um, I was much more interested in the sort of transformative stuff that uh, Barbara focuses on. Um, though I did make the point, which I think is interesting, that uh, her experience of looking at a book about Billy Meyer was part of the process of her moving towards doing the research that she's presently doing. So, in a way, it doesn't even matter if the book is fiction. It it served a purpose and, uh, you know, moved Barbara along a little further down the path. Now, Now, what I am interested in and was sort of the framework for me in this this interview is the fact that Barbara Lamb is a UFO abduction researcher as well as a UFO abductee. I cannot state strongly enough that these two are intertwined. Um, I said as much, she agreed with me, there are a handful of researchers out there. The two we use are Leo Sprinkle and Raymond Fowler, both of whom have come forward uh, and talked about their own abduction experiences. You know, after getting into this work, the same thing happened with Barbara. This is a pattern that I find so interesting. And I will also add that there are a handful of other researchers out there who have not come forward but do speak privately that they have had these experiences and that is the reason they're doing this research and then the the act or the sensation of being compelled uh, these researchers tell of being compelled uh, being in Barbara's case, told, you know, she had a voice that said, pay attention, Barbara, this is what you are going to be doing in her head. That was within the first few minutes of this interview. She heard that while being a student at a hypnosis seminar. Now, the the act of being told, being compelled, being instructed, even even unconsciously being compelled to do something is part of this overall phenomena. I will also add these podcasts, this blog, my written work. I do sense a feeling of being compelled. And uh and you know where does the source come from? I I I don't know, though I do at times feel like I am digging deep in a way where the source might be from somehow beyond myself. I know what I'm implying, and I'm not sure what to make of it. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.